Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth. Hello, everyone. John Leahy with you. And as always, we are delighted to have you along for the podcast this week. I want to thank my guest from last week, Dr. Gary Griffith, a uh, sports broadcaster who has been all through the minor leagues, uh, particularly baseball. And he's also he's also a uh, college professor uh, of uh, mass communications down in uh, South Carolina. So uh, Gary was a great guest. And uh, today we're going to bring back an old friend, a guy we had on the podcast last year, one of my dearest friends, one of my closest friends, and uh, he's a guy that I've worked with in hockey for quite some time, and uh, this man is a legend. He's the radio voice of Boston University Hockey and Harvard Football, my good friend Bernie Corbett. Bernie, it's so great having you. Thanks for stopping by tonight. Oh, no problem, John. And, uh, you know, thanks for the uh, the theme music. I can do that in three notes. There you go. <laughs> go. Go be you. You make me feel right at home. Yeah, that's the objective here. When we have a guest on, we want to make sure that yep. uh, our guests feel right at home. So, uh, Bernie, we have so much to talk about. And, uh you know, I, I want to talk, you know, obviously a lot about BU hockey since we're going to be playing each other this weekend in a home-on-home in a home series. But uh, maybe we'll talk a little Harvard football as well. But, uh, you know, I wanted to start and kind of get your thoughts and your observations on uh, where college hockey is today as far as where we are in getting back to quote-unquote normalcy. Certainly we're a lot better yeah. off than we were last year, but uh, how do you feel it's gone? Well, I, you know, once again, uh, I think everybody, uh, you know, godly optimistic, as we as we like to say, uh, uh, as far as uh, the uh, the situation that uh, that we, we've all been uh, we've all been dealing with, no matter what the uh, what the area of endeavor is for anybody, sports has obviously been uh, greatly affected. I mean, uh, BU, case in point, was BU was the last uh, the very last team in the country that uh, participated to to be actually get on the ice last year. I mean, BU didn't play till January 8th right. uh, last year. Yep. So it was a, a, a very much an abbreviated season for BU uh, last season. So just the fact that uh, we're on the ice in October uh, and uh, off to uh, a conventional start with the schedule, with the expectation to play a full schedule, play all the way through to – uh, to a college hockey uh, champion being decided in Boston, ironically enough, in April. Right. Um, I mean, that's 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 all on the positive side, John. Um, and hopefully, uh, that's going to continue. And uh, of course, uh, that said, it's led to a much different landscape of the actual game in terms of the makeup of the teams because of uh, the pandemic. I mean, that that's led to uh, some unique circumstances that we're all looking at with these uh, rosters and who's actually playing college hockey this year. Well, Bernie, you've had a chance to do four games so far with BU. Three of them have been at Agana Serena, and uh, you also had a game down in Hartford, uh, and uh, I know you're glad to get the XL Center out of the way early, right? Because uh, <laughs> not everybody enjoys going to that uh, ring. Although I did have Chuck Caton on uh, last month, a couple of months oh, ago, actually. Gosh. And Chuck had some great stories about that building. But uh, you, So you've had a chance to do four games. Fans have been in the building. You know, how is it – what's it felt like for you to have that experience again? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's felt uh, – it has, uh, dare we say it, it has felt uh, normal. Uh, uh, you know, the uh, you know just uh, having the crowd back, uh, it, was, it was, as I'm sure you would know, John, it was just a very eerie – to, 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 you know, lack of a better term, eerie last year uh, in empty buildings and uh, just the, the whole isolation factor. I mean, the experience for me personally last year with BU, uh, 
uh, well, for one thing, the home games were played at Walter Brown Arena and not at Gannis Arena. So the Terriers right. went back to their prior home. So that was an aberration. That was unusual. An empty Walter Brown Arena, of course. And uh, and then the away games, uh, I was you know broadcasting from my den, uh, you know, and it could have been in my pajamas or my robe. I think I might have been for a couple of games, as a matter of fact. Uh, you know, truth be told, no one no, no, no. But I'll reveal that. But, uh, you know, off my, you know, 55-inch Samsung TV. Uh, so, you know, if anybody had ever told me that I'd be in any kind of circumstance that I would be actually calling a game from my den, uh, I would have said, you know, who would come up with so wild a story? But that was the story last year. That was what the circumstances that we were dealt. So uh, to be back in the ranks, uh, uh, back at the XL, yeah, I, memories of Chuck Caton always come back when I go to this. But funny you mentioned because I can remember uh, – Oh, it must have been 1989 or 90, and uh, I remember meeting Chuck Caton and sitting with Chuck Caton for a game and talking broadcasting with Chuck Caton. It was uh, absolutely thrilling for me to, to be able to do that at the time. And he was, of course, the you know the dean of the of the uh, NHL play-by-play announcers for decades. And uh, uh, so I always think of Chuck when I'm at the XL Center. So it was it was great to you know be able to get back. That was the the, uh, the, the lone road game so far, and, and to be able to get back out on the road and just as I'm looking forward to getting back and having the experience of being at Lawler Rink and uh, being up there with uh, with you and, and that experience this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, shortly. But, uh, Bernie, I know you had a chance to sit in on Hockey East Media Day, as I did, and uh, yep. I'm wondering what perspectives you might have gained from Hockey East uh, as you experienced Media Day, and, and what are your opinions on how the league has started so far? Yeah, I think it's off to a good start. I think on a, on a number of levels, uh, solid ground. Um, my my hope is that uh, that Steve Metcalf, uh, you, you know, you talk about a baptism of fire for him to take over as the commissioner from Joe Britannia to uh, have the torch passed last year. I mean, it could it have been any more of a challenging year with uh, so many uh, you know obstacles and pitfalls and landmines out there than it was for Steve. I really kind of feel for Steve being able to get the ship into port and get us through that season last year. And I think Steve's a very bright guy. He's got great experience in. Uh, in uh, intercollegiate sports and, and great experience uh, with hockey. He was a liaison to hockey with the UNH. So I think we're on firm ground there. Uh, got the chance to meet in person. I had interviewed Brian Murphy last year. Um, I think as far as uh, the head of officials, I think uh, Brian Murphy would bring in the NHL resume that he brings to the table. I think uh, the league is in great shape uh, in, in that area. So um, I think uh, moving forward from uh, an administrative sense and uh, logistical sense uh playoff format uh established for this year um i i think it's on a very uh, very firm and solid ground uh, moving forward I'm, I'm excited about the year and and uh and, and being able to uh, get back to a, a conventional hockey east uh, season for the 11 teams yeah you know and a couple of things that i kind of picked up on first of all was uh, umass getting swept by minnesota state now i knew there was going to be a lot of emotion at the mullen center on opening night uh you know you often see that bernie when teams are come back after defending a championship uh, they play their first home game and sometimes it doesn't doesn't go all that well but then to blow that lead uh, on the second night against minnesota state and getting swept and uh, also umass lowell had a couple of games uh postponed because of covid because long island uh, university uh, had to pull out because of covid so we've already seen a couple of quirky things so far yeah that's you know and, and that's unfortunate you know as much as uh you know we all we, we all obviously hope oh this is behind us well you know we you get something like the uh, the long island story that you mentioned and 
yeah, it's not uh, it's not quite behind us yet, unfortunately, John. Yeah. Uh, when you have something like that come up, uh, and and hopefully we're we're going to avoid uh, those situations, and that is certainly not going to be that's going to be an exception to the rule of of the type of season that we're going to have. And uh, as far as, uh, as as far as UMass, I mean that the, uh, the Minnesota State team, I mean they have been. Uh, a dominant team, WCHA now CCHA. They've changed the uh, they've changed the call letters there yep. uh, for the for the league. But I don't think it's going to change uh, what Minnesota State and Mike Hastings has done uh, in terms of being the premier team in that league. Uh, and and uh, you know they are once again going to be a national championship uh, contender. Uh, and uh, and as far as uh, UMass uh, having them on the schedule, uh, talk to Greg Carvel about it and. They want to continue to have the mentality of, uh, as, a, as now the defending national champions, to play anybody, anywhere, anytime, and to be able to test themselves. And uh, in, in that case, you, you bring Minnesota State in, you know you're going to get tested early on to uh, find out uh, really a, a measuring stick as to where your team is at. And uh, and I think that was uh, that was the case there. I think UMass is definitely going to be heard from, and that they're going to be a top uh, top contending team, uh, no doubt in Hockey East, and I'm sure nationally. And you know, UMass had a week to stew about that, right? They had uh, they were off the weekend after those two Minnesota State games, and so they had a nice bounce back weekend against AIC, and uh, they won a couple of games. So uh, Greg Carvel's yeah. team uh, able to respond as we as we had a feeling they would. Yeah. Oh, no, no doubt. They, 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 you know, once again, I think they're going to be one of the teams that'll be there in the upper echelon of hockey East and in, in, uh, in, in the, at the end of the year. And, uh, uh it's been amazing. Uh, you mentioned about AIC, the, uh, the phenomenon, if you will, of Western Massachusetts hockey. I mean, AIC is uh, in a very short time with Eric Lang. Uh, they have established themselves as the premier program in the Atlantic hockey league. And, uh, and, and more than likely they're picked to win the Atlantic league once again. So, uh, UMass uh, scheduling their neighbors there, uh, uh, not a couple of gimmies. You know those are games that are going to uh, that, that are going to test you. So um, the the, the out of conference schedule, I think we you know we're getting back to that this year as being a factor. You know last year, I think we realized uh, just how valuable the pairwise was um, right. to take all of the subjectivity out of a national tournament and get us back to uh, being able to play by the numbers. And um, I've always been a proponent of. Uh, of the pairwise as it's been evolved. I mean, there's nothing perfect, but just the fact that every game is meaningful and uh, you, you are evaluated every game you're evaluated and you're evaluated by the company you keep, who you're competing against, who your opponents compete against. Um, I still think it's a formula that, that, that works. And uh, I'm, I'm all for being objective as opposed to subjective and uh, UMass playing Minnesota state. Um, you know, you get Quinnipiac and North Dakota playing the North, North Dakota's coming to Quinnipiac this weekend. Um, those all become those those all loom very large and and uh, uh, how the NCAA tournament uh, field is uh, going to be evaluated and selected. Well, Bernie, let's talk some BU hockey here. Let's start with uh, the product on the ice right now. The Terriers have played four games, uh, two and two, and uh, you had the split with UConn. You go down to Hartford, win two to one in that one. Then uh, UConn uh, comes into BU and wins five to one. And then you had a pretty scrappy Sacred Heart, who Merrimack saw the week before. Merrimack beat Sacred Heart four to two, and then uh, BU splits with Sacred Heart. Uh, what have you seen from the Terriers so far? What observations stick out for you? Yeah, I think the you know it it really has been uh, a, a bit of a roller coaster in the early going. I mean, uh, had uh, certainly had, uh, had had some real strong stretches that first night uh, down in Hartford were unrewarded until uh, 
weren't able to, 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 to get a puck in the net until I think it was shot number 41 in the game late. Wow. Uh, got a got a favorable bounce, uh, and uh, and and uh, Sam Stevens was able to score to tie that game. And, you know, it looked like it was going to be this isn't our night, one to nothing. So I thought the team showed tenacity and being able to uh, to you know to to make your break and get the break and take advantage of it, uh, tie it, and then you know power play. I'm not saying power play percentage is not important, but I think even more important is you know if you get that opportunity late in the game, a man up, can you cash it in in a tight game? And that's exactly what BU ended up doing that night, John. Uh, Master Simone, Robert Master Simone, very dynamic player, Detroit Red Wings draft pick. And he got the big power play goal. So that game turned around late. Uh, two goals within a minute and 41 seconds to decide it. Felt real good uh, for the team getting on the bus and coming back up and for your home opener. And then I think uh, it was a uh, it was it was a, it was an awakening on uh, Saturday, a rude awakening, I might add. Uh, UConn, I think, is a good team. Uh, I think they're 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 very deep up front, and uh, and and uh, ended up uh, with, uh, with with a, a situation where uh, they were more the aggressor on uh, Saturday. Uh, really took over the game on Saturday. Uh, two teams that BU and UConn that wanted to play up tempo, uh, wanted to open up the game, and I thought UMass had a better version of it on Saturday in the, in the back end and ended up as a result of it, ended up with that five to one win. So I think that shook up everybody on the BU side a little bit as a, you know, kind of the wake up call and, and uh, to get back, uh, get back on track. The unfortunate thing leading into last weekend uh, was the fact that the Terriers were down a number of bodies last going in Friday and were down a couple of more bodies. I have no idea what the status is uh, coming up for this weekend with the Merrimack series, but um, what's amazing to me here, the one thing that really strikes me here in the early going is coming into the season, and, uh, and and once again, I think the theme of this season in college hockey, you have your, I know people are calling them super seniors, the guys that have been able to exercise their uh, the uh, the eligibility waiver because of COVID. So you got guys coming back, uh, some in greater numbers with some schools, but everybody I think has got guys coming back and exercising that extra year of eligibility. There's, there's, there's some at every school. And then you may have to have uh, held off uh, some of your incoming freshmen or depending on how many incoming freshmen. Well, I just know from the BU standpoint, John, that, uh, you know, normally you'd have 15 forwards. What do you try to have? You try to have 15 forwards. You try to have eight defensemen. You're going to dress six or seven defensemen. You're going to dress 12 or 13 forwards. This year, I believe the BU roster in the preseason, there were 17 forwards in the program and 10 defensemen. And I looked at it, which is, which is a really, large roster for a school that's got a pretty hefty <laughs> tuition tariff right. um, as opposed to a public, you know, as opposed to a, a, a state university where you might have greater numbers as, as, as we've seen over the years. But uh, what amazed me already this season, just four games into the season is uh, BU. I looked at it. I said, well, I said, this is going to be different. I said, there's going to be quantity and quality. There's numbers. There's going to be competition. Uh, from a coaching standpoint, and I talked to the coaches about it. I said, you're going to have competition, uh, you know, from week to week, which is what you want. Who's going to be in the lineup on, on Friday? You want guys competing hard in practice to make sure they're in the lineup. Well, that changed in a, in a, a Gannis minute, if you will, um, with the number of guys now that were unavailable last weekend. And once again, I have no idea how many will be available this weekend that might not have been available last weekend, but suddenly there was a numbers crunch for BU last weekend, not making any excuses. Um, there was a, a gut punch of a loss on Friday. It was a really tough game to lose Friday 
giving up a goal with 13 seconds left. That was that was tough to, to swallow on any level. But once again, I give the team credit. I give the coaching staff credit for getting them back up and, uh, and, and showing resiliency to come back and, and play a solid game to get the split on Saturday. And uh, I think part of that is, is, I think, another theme currently in college hockey, John, is parity. Uh, yep. Case in point was uh, was it two weeks ago, not last Friday, but the Friday before. You, know, you get the Red Sox in the postseason. Every day starts to run together for me. I got football, hockey. I got baseball. You know what else, right? But I think it was a week ago, Friday, when the Atlantic had a big weekend head to head with the Big Ten, and I think that surprised people. You had Atlantic teams going out and, and beating Big Ten teams in their own arena. So I mean, you know, it's one through sixty. 59, whatever it is right now that we have for the number of teams, Division One college hockey, uh, the, the, the parity level is, is really in evidence. Yeah, sure. It makes it fun, uh, any team on any given night. We've said it so many times. But I wanted, sure. to, I wanted to talk to you also, Bernie, about the coaching staff. I know you've, you've got yep. Al, Albie O'Connell there, of course, a former BU player. Jay Pandolfo is now on board. And, you know, you, you go back to the coaches that we've seen, uh, Albie before him, David Quinn, of course, uh, the legendary Jack Parker before him. How important is it for BU to consider uh, the uh, players' BU background, if you will, you know, in terms of uh, head coaches. I know that's been the, the theme, certainly, and uh, especially now with Pandolfo coming in. Uh, how how heavy of a factor is that weighed when BU makes those types of decisions? Well, well I think that, you know, with, with a, a program like BU, um, I think that uh, there is uh, maybe a tendency to weigh it a little bit heavier uh, just because of the success of the program. And, uh, and, and I think I'll, I'll always think there's an intangible uh, with guys coming back and being able to coach at their alma mater. And, you know, once again, if it's the right guy, then I'm all for it. And, uh, I mean, the current staff right now with Doug Friedman back as hockey operations, you've got the 94, the 96, and the 99 captains of the team uh, are all on staff right now as, as part of the staff. So um, I think it can work. Um, it's, it's worked in the past. I mean, if you look at Hockey East, uh, Dick Humili at UNH, obviously Jack at BU, Jerry York at BC, uh, where, where there's been success uh, with a given program, um, I, I, th- I think it can be a factor. I don't know if it has to be an exclusive factor. It, it certainly doesn't. I mean, there's a lot of examples of guys that have coached uh, other places or had gone to school and then coached other places being successful. But I think there's a little bit of an intangible there. And if you have the right guy and, and – of course, the situation at BU uh, was was very much unique. It was a real outlier because you had the same guy at the helm of the program for 40 years and 898 wins. Right. You know, that, right. that, that, that's not duplicated too many places. You got the same guy head coach for 40 years. You know, right, right. So, so there's that kind of disciples of uh, uh, Jack Parker. It, 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 it's interesting this year. It's the 100th anniversary of BU Hockey's being celebrated all year, and there's a series of events um, that, that we're going to have, and um, uh, we are going to have an event uh, that's going uh, that, to that's going to talk about uh, the uh, coach's uh, his his tree, if you will, the, the the Parker coaching tree, which has got coaches at all. Well, you start with the NHL, you start with Mike Sullivan and John Hines, and you could work your way through college to high school to junior hockey, and and all the way back again. So. 
Um, so I think that can be uh, can be a positive factor. You know, you mentioned Jack Parker, and you know, I, I read excerpts of Joe Britannia's book, new book that came out. I haven't ordered it yet, but but I will be. And uh, there was a tribute to Jack Parker as part of that book. Now, uh, I know I, I want to ask you about Jack's sense of humor, and I know it was very <laughs> unique. It was very unique, and I know you've had lots of uh, opportunities oh, yeah. to uh, to share <laughs> funny stories with Jack. But give our listeners a little sneak peek into Jack's uh, style of humor. Well, yeah, his style is um, it's 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 biting, it's acerbic, um, it's 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 pointed, it's 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 rapier sharp. Um, it's everything you'd expect from a guy who grew up in a three decker in Somerville. I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, you know, Jack is. Uh, I've always said Jack is is kind of uh, he's kind of like the Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting. It's always a lethal combination. To have a guy that's got a Menzer IQ and street smarts, you know, <laughs> and, and 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 much like Matt Damon's character there, Will Hunting there, uh, Jack Jack's very much out of that mold. Uh, but yeah, Jack is. I mean, his sense of humor is uh, is, is 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 kind of the trademark. Uh, I just give you. I'm just thinking because I was just talking to him earlier. But uh, one story that came to mind, and uh, it just came to mind because of the Red Sox. Jack had said something to me about three weeks ago, and. And uh, we we hadn't been to a, a game yet this year, and and you know he, he you know there's a couple of he had a couple of conflicts and so forth, and and we were commiserating about the state of the Red Sox at the end of the regular season, and it was a serious question as we know where are they going to end up? Are they going to end in the playoffs? They're going to get in the playoffs? You know they're going to end up? Will they get a wild card? Will they get knocked out at the end? We didn't know. So Jack said uh, in a rather flippant manner, he said to me, he says. Uh, you know, get back to me when they're in the World Series. You know, and. Uh, <laughs> And of course, at that point, it was like you know, it was it was pretty humorous, and I thought it was rather tongue in cheek. I didn't know if he really meant it. So, uh, you know, we had talked earlier about uh, about his comment, and I said, Coach, I said, if you really believe that, uh, there's always like a, a Jack story for all occasions. In 1975, uh, BU uh, Jack's uh, first full year that he was head coach, he came in halfway through the 73-74 season, and they won the ECAC tournament. So. Uh, Harvard and BU were, were the two real powers of the East there for, for that period. And they'd always play in December early in the year. And Harvard beat BU 7-2 to two in December, and it was their only loss. And now in the Beanpot final in 1975, BU and Harvard were 1-2 in the country, with Harvard holding that 7-2 to two loss over BU in December. Yep. And it was a huge, huge, uh, you can imagine, the, the, the garden was absolute, I can remember it. I mean, it was the, you know, Thirteen nine oh nine fourteen nine nine five. It was the it was the sellout. Couldn't standing room. Couldn't get a ticket. Sneaking in the fire exit the game for the bean pot. And uh, and and BU ended up winning seven to two. The, the exact turnaround of the game they lost earlier in the year. Just dominated the game. Right. And J- and Jack tells a great story. He said there was a friend of his uh, uh, who was uh, let's say would place a wager from time to time. And, uh, and and Jack uh, was was being congratulated by a bunch of people after the game outside the locker room at the Garden, and his friend said, "Hey, you know, geez, Jack, great win tonight." And Jack said to him, "He says, you know something?" He said, "I just had a feeling, you know." He said, "I got up this morning, and I said, not only do I think we're going to win, I think we're going to win big." There you go. And his friend and his friend who you know would maybe place a wager from time to time, John, this friend of his, yep. turned to him and said, "Jack, if you ever get that feeling again." Please get to a phone. <laughs> Great stuff. Great stuff. <laughs> so, so I want. So that's an example of Jack. Uh, you know, 
he's got some great stories. That's one of them from the archives. I just happen to be thinking about today. You know, oh, great stuff. And you know, Bernie, we we can't if we're talking about BU hockey, we we have to bring up Travis Roy. Uh, Travis, yes. of course, yep. just passed away recently, and I know you had a special relationship with Travis and. Uh, uh, just a, a, such a sad, sad uh, event that happened with him. And 11 seconds into his first collegiate shift, and of course that unfortunate accident. And, uh, but I wonder if you could just reflect back uh, on Travis and your relationship with him, and, and how important he is uh, to BU hockey. God rest his soul. Yeah, you know, to BU hockey, and uh, and 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 I think became, you know, by a tragedy became an inspiration and continues to be an inspiration to the world, you know, the world of hockey and well beyond it to the world, uh, what he did with the foundation and, uh, all of the good that the foundation has done and continue to do. But, um, I mean, I met him. I, I just all told a story. I just think back to, um, being at the, uh, at the, uh, the athletic building at BU it was a summer day, happened to be in there. And, uh, I was talking to Ed Carpenter, the longtime sports information director. I mean, we're standing on the stairwell and, you know, kids were going up to uh, work out in the weight room, and and a kid comes bopping by, blonde kid, you know, good-looking young guy, and and, and uh, Ed Carpenter said, uh, he says, you know, hi, you know, say hello to Travis Roy, and that was, you know, my introduction to Travis Roy, you know, oh, nice to meet you, and he just walked by, and Ed Carpenter just turned and said, he says, you know, it's just a great kid, he says he'll be a captain here one day, mm-hmm. and that was my first meeting and you know you do as you do john you do your homework on the guys coming in you try to get a sense where they play who are they what are they all about um but i that was my first meeting and and then you know going in and getting ready for that season and you know going in catching practice or whatever and knowing that he was going to start the game and i, I was calling the game i mean the, the, the incident in walter brown arena happened right beneath and i think about it all the time it's like a flashback to just something awful that you just you just witnessed. I mean, I was calling the play, calling the game, and it happened like directly below our vantage point. And it was it was de- it was just beyond devastating. And as the details were gathered as to how severe it was, and you know, I remember going home that night, and my father being at the game, and and he said he said, man, my father was was standing up on the on the the balcony there across, and he had a good look, and he said, man, he says when he, he said to me that night, he said, Bernie, he says when I saw it happen, he said, I just knew right away. He said. He was in deep, deep trouble, yeah. and uh, it was. I just, you know, I I think back on that, and 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 the the magnitude of that tragedy, and and then to see what happened in the immediate aftermath of it, in terms of how the, it began with the hockey community, but it went well beyond the hockey community, the outpouring of support, the outreach of support, how he connected uh, to to people. And then to see how he handled the situation and was able to graduate, uh, to be independently, to live as independently as, as he could live, to be able to uh, be an inspiration on that level. And then the foundation and the wiffle ball tournament and the, the money that he raised and, and, and talking, to, uh, talking to groups over the years that, that had a chance to hear him speak and to just walk away and to have their whole perspective on life changed after they heard him speak and said, wow, maybe I should take a different look at what I got going on here or what my Absolutely. life is all about after, after just listening to, 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 to this guy tell his story. And, um, and you know, over the years, I, I'm, I'm glad I, I, I look, I pray every night for him and I pray as, as an inspiration because he was an inspiration to me as he was to many and 
and um, you know, we we we, uh, uh, we we had a chance. He was a big Pearl Jam fan, like I was. Um, and I remember one show that we spent together at the Garden, where, I, where, where we were together for the show and we watched the show together. Um, never forget that night. That was a special night. Um, and uh, and and uh, and then one uh, and then one story that uh, that I got to tell you was we when we had a um, when Coach Parker retired in 2013. Uh, down at the, uh, there was down the Cape, there was a function during the summer for former players. And, and I was emceeing the thing and there was different speakers coming up and, and, uh, and the announcement about Travis's number was going to be retired. And, you know, the only number that was, was retired was, was they retired number six for Jack. And now they were going to retire number 24. <laughs> just give you an idea of, I mean, how the kid did it. How it's just his sense of humor. He never lost. He had such a shop with Travis could match up with Jack and I can remember I was up at the uh, the microphone and I said uh, about Travis's number being re- re- being uh, uh, retired. Uh, you know, Jack, no, Jack's, I'm sorry, Jack's number being retired. Travis's number is the only number that's been retired. I'm sorry, reverse right. that. 24 right. has been retired. So now they announced, I, I said, you know, Jack's number is going to be retired. And I said, our next speaker, Travis was, was on his way up to the podium. And I said, I'm sure our next speaker, Travis Roy, does not mind that he will not be the only player in the history of BU hockey to have his number retired. And as he's coming up, I hear from the back of the room, I mind. (laughs) Uh, You only get that stuff at BU. Great stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I'll never forget that. I said, God bless him. I said, that was, you know, not often you could go toe to toe with Jack and, and, and throw a shot at him, but that one that one hit, you know, that was a good shot by Travis. That was beautiful. Great stuff. We're talking with Bernie Corbett. He is the longtime radio voice of Boston University men's hockey, also the voice of Harvard football. And uh, Bernie, I will transition to Harvard uh, football in just a moment, but I'd like to get your thoughts on the bean pot finally returning. Uh, of course, we didn't have it last year. That's yeah. that is such a spectacle. Uh, I haven't missed one in at least over a dozen years. I know you get to do it every year. How special is that event and how special will it be to have it back in the garden? Well, it's going to be like, you mentioned it, John, it's going to be like a lot of things. It's going to be really special to have it back, you know, and and like all these things that we take for granted annual. I just think back to all the annuals that didn't happen that are coming back or have come back. And that'll be a very, uh, very notable that it'll be coming back, and, and thank God it will be. I'm looking forward to that already. Um, it's it's been a big, big part of my life. Um, I, I felt a little bit slighted last year. That would have been my 50th year of of, I, I, of the bean pot for me because um, I went to the first one with my family in 1971. So I was 10 years old. I was in the fifth wow. grade. Yep. And I went to my first one, and and, uh, and so I didn't get the chance. That would have been my fiftieth. So I'll put a little asterisk next to that this year. <laughs> but 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 that's how much of a part of my life that it's been, and part of my family's life, and and, and the fabric of my family's life would be you hockey. So um, yeah, it's going to be very special, and I'm looking to look forward to uh, to you know once again, I'll be back to normal with the the first two Mondays in February are all about the bean pot, as we know. Absolutely. One of my favorite Beanpot stories was, well, I have one of my own that I experienced, but uh, I remember the the blizzard of 78 and the the teams were stuck there. And I remember Channel 4 doing a news clip of a very young Jack Parker and uh, talking about that experience. And, uh, you know, he he had the wit going even in that clip. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's one of the the stories that Jack has told for many, many years. And and uh, about uh, trying to get the bus back to West Campus at BU, and 
they were going, you know, inching their way down Com Ave, and uh, uh, the uh, Jack O'Callaghan, the captain, he come up to Jack and he said, you know, Coach, he said, uh, you know, is there any chance you can let us off at the dugout, you know, at the BU watering hole? Um, the middle of the campus, and uh, he said, you know, we're all going to end up going back down there anyway, you know, so yeah, right. let us off there, and Jack's like, uh, you know, I can't do that, you know, so Jack comes up with an alternative, you know, once again, you know, you can't underestimate growing up at the three-decker in Somerville, you know, Oh yeah. so Jack said, uh, Jack made the announcement, he said, if anybody wants to get off at Marsh Chapel and say a prayer, you can get off here. If not, you can ride all the way back to West Campus. <laughs> and, uh, and 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 Billy Carter, God rest his soul, from Charlestown, he walked up to the coach. He was all in a panic. He's like, he wanted to get off at the dugout. He, he didn't get it. So he walked up to Jack and he said, Coach, look, you know, I'm Catholic. I'm as religious as the next guy. But, you know, I was kind of hoping we'd get off at the dugout. And, <laughs> uh, and of course, the bus pulled up in front of Mars Chapel. And as Jack said, the entire bus emptied out. He said, including my athletic director, John Simpson. One of my great favorites, the late John Simpson, God rest his soul. What a wonderful, wonderful guy he was. He, he, I always said to John, I said, John, anybody that wants to blame, you know, if, if you want to blame somebody for my career, blame John Simpson. He's the guy who gave me a shot <laughs> at broadcasting BU football and hockey when I got out of school. So, but uh, that's that's one of the uh, the great notes from the blizzard was, you know, getting off at Mars Chapel to say a prayer with the BU team. Great stuff, Bernie. And, you know, I know you're you're still, of course, very involved with Harvard football. And I, I, well, yeah. I, I had an email with you a few weeks ago, and I know you were down at Georgetown to start the year. And, uh, boy, that's been a big part of your life, too, hasn't it? And, uh, you know, how exciting Absolutely. was how exciting for you was it to get back and, and get back to Harvard football again, which is I, I know you love it so much. Oh, you know, once again, uh, you know, Harvard is, uh, they've, they've given me a football home, you know, BU, BU football, 1997 was the final year. I'm the answer to a trivia question. I broadcast the last BU football game down at James Madison, November of 1997. And uh, it was, you know, it was heartbreaking. And I, I enjoyed football and, and had the experience. I, I worked as the color analyst with Doug Brown uh, for 12 years from back in 1984. Uh, and uh, until 1990, yeah, 10 years with Doug. I did a year with Ken Coleman, and then I did the last two years. I did the play-by-play. So, so I was. I can remember it was I was at the New England. I MC the New England Football Writers Banquet for Jack Grinold, and I remember getting up to the New England Football Writers Banquet in December '97 and saying, "Well, I guess this is my last banquet because I don't have a football team. If anybody's got any ideas." And um, the idea I had was to go talk to Billy Clary, and you know, I had a good relationship with Billy. Um, he's very close with Jack Parker, and I knew Billy from hockey and so forth. And I went over and talked to Billy and, um, you know, it just kind of fell into place. There was kind of an opening there to get involved. And uh, I was able to get involved. And uh, the fact that I've been able to broadcast Harvard football, work with Tim Murphy. I knew Tim. I was actually in school at BU uh, when Tim was an assistant at BU uh, with Rick Taylor. Uh, so we knew each other. We had a little bit of, uh, of history. And uh, and Coach Murphy and Harvard has been a great uh, great experience for me. And they're off to a great start. They're five and zero right now. They got uh, a couple of uh, big ones coming up with Princeton and Dartmouth, and uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to uh, to see how the uh, the Ivy League race uh, plays out. But uh, Harvard football has been uh, has been a great uh, great experience, and 
And, uh, well, they've been sending guys, as we know, John, to the NFL. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick has had quite a career now. It's 17 years or whatever. It's 15 years in the NFL. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, in fact, the Patriots are the only AFC East team he's never played for. You know, <laughs> played so, for everybody else in the division, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's, uh, that's right. One of those yeah. quirky trivia stuff that I learned from doing baseball for so many years. But uh, That's right. That's actually, right. Actually, uh, so, Bernie, I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, what you're doing in terms of your podcast and your Sirius XM radio. Maybe you could uh, get us up to date on those shows and how people can find them yeah no thank you thank you very much john uh the uh the, the league uh, podcast uh that i do for uh, uh hockey east and uh and ecac atlantic hockey uh they're all back uh you can access all of them uh at uh, at the uh, you can go right to the league sites they all have a dedicated uh, spot a dedicated page uh, that you can uh, go and uh, and listen to, to Inside Hockey East, uh, Inside ECAC, Inside Atlantic Hockey, and uh, talking to coaches and players. Uh, women's feature every week. Uh, also, I get some I get some great uh, kids at, at BU that uh, that work with me on the shows. Uh, that have, a couple of them have been with me for a long time, for three four years now. Uh, so those are all up and active uh, every week. Uh, the Sirius XM show, Hockey on Campus, is in its twelfth year. Um, and uh, Saturday morning at 9, Sunday morning at 8. Uh, it's also on ESPNU, Sirius XM channel. Uh, they picked it up in January, and they seem to like it, so they picked it up for this season. Uh, so you can you can find that there. And uh, I've uh, taken a little bit of a break from uh, Games People Play, which is my, as I say, my podcast where I talk to old people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> on Games People Play, where I've, I've just had a ball with that uh, We've got about 40 shows in now. Uh, started that a year ago in June, talking to uh, former athletes and having them tell their story uh, in detail. Um, I've got, I'm have got. i just really wrapped up with hockey. We had a, we launched the first full week of the podcast last week for, for, uh, for the college hockey. So, um, But I've, I, I'm, I'm pleased to say I've got some unproduced shows that we got to start cranking out. I've got, uh, let's see, we got Keith Folk. we got uh, Kenny Anderson, the former Celtics point guard. Uh, we've got uh, we've got him to come. Uh, Michael Warren uh, is one that we got to get out. I mean, people remember Michael Warren from UCLA basketball or Hill Street Blues. Uh, we got one with him. Uh, talked to Phil Esposito recently. Uh, that's going to be an epic because uh, I got uh, hours of material from Phil. Look forward to getting that one out. Uh, so we've got uh, we got a number. And, and uh, Louis Tiant was the first uh, uh, live guest that I had. Uh, sat down with Louis Tian at Fenway Johnny's over on Brookline Avenue near Fenway Park. John Karen has yep. become a very good friend, and uh, sat down with Louis. And uh, that's another one that we we got to get edited. We got to get it out there. I've taken a little bit of a hiatus, but uh, we'll be we'll be putting new shows up for games people play, and hopefully recording some some new shows coming up. That's awesome, Bernie. And I know, uh, you know, I can't let you go without bringing up music. Now, you know, when I was contemplating on what to do for a, yep. for a theme song for you tonight, I was really torn between a Rolling Stone song and the BU theme song. It, it, <laughs> you know, I was thinking about yep. this last night uh, and I was saying, man, man what am I going to go with? So I, I had to stay with the BU uh, uh, stuff. But, you know, uh, the Rolling Stones, okay. you, you know, you, you had a great book you wrote about that. And I know music yeah. music is a big part of of your life as it is mine and uh you know it's um it's just such a, such a wonderful thing to be wrapped up with and and you know talk about your love of music for a minute 
No, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, once again, missing the live experience, I uh, got to a couple of shows. I went to see Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes. I've been seeing them for many years. Bruce Springsteen's good friends of Bruce Springsteen saw them this summer. And, uh, but it's great to see live music coming back. Uh, the Stones, the heartbreak of losing Charlie Watts, their drummer. I was a huge fan of Charlie oh, right. Watts and, yeah. and, and just the, the absolute foundation and musically and otherwise the rock of that band uh, was heartbreaking to for Charlie's passing back in August and right before the Stones took it back on the road. And uh, I am going to see they're they're currently touring. And um, my plan is I booked it a while ago, uh, meeting up with a friend out in Detroit uh, on November 15th to see the Stones out at uh, Ford Field on November 15th. So um, I will get uh, get a chance here, God willing, everything goes well to see the Stones uh, on this uh, this little uh, stadium tour that they're doing. Oh, that's awesome, Bernie. I hope you make it out there. And, you know, my goal has always been to be a ukulele player in the Jimmy Buffett band. Um, but, <laughs> yep. you know, he yep. br- every every concert, Bernie, he brings in a ringer, a guy by the name of Jake Shimabukuro, who is the world's greatest uh, ukulele player. So ah. um, I play multiple instruments, so I'm going to have to – I think I'm going to have to find another way in the back door with Jimmy's <laughs> band. So. <laughs> But I, I think right. I think exactly. he, I think his screening process is probably one of the most difficult in all of music. So I got my work cut out for me, Bernie. <laughs> well, it, 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 it's it's something that uh, you know you got to have those you know goals, and uh, I know John, you're focused and dedicated on that. So uh, you know, I wish you wish you luck with that and uh, being able to continue to uh, keep that in mind. Eyes on the prize. Absolutely, Bernie. Well, listen. Last thing before I let you go, uh, BU's coming. Sure. BU's coming to Merrimack uh, on Friday night, and we're heading yeah. down to your your way on Saturday. Uh, talk about what it's like to come into Merrimack as a visiting first as a visiting team, and then as a visiting broadcaster. The Lala Rink is uh, unique in many respects, and I know that the that the philosophy of Merrimack is to make it as uncomfortable as possible for the <laughs> visiting team to come in there. So, I'm wondering what it's like you know for you and maybe what uh, the BU team thinks about playing in, in such a, uh, a different uh, arena so to, uh, so to speak well for a broadcaster it's a joy to come there uh, love uh, seeing you and Mike and uh, and, and uh, uh, Chris Aliano when Chris was there you know Chris had worked for me as a student and then got up there to Merrimack as the, uh, the hockey contact and uh, now you got Will LeBlonde who's got great ties to BU his dad was in school with me when I was the manager and his father, Bill, was on the national championship team in 78. So it's very welcoming to come there. Um, I love everything that's been done to the rink, the look of it now and everything. I, I, you always get a great meal there before the game. Um, I mean, all, all it's first class, uh, great vantage point. You're close to the ice. You're close to the action. As far as the visiting teams, it is a different. Uh, it's, it's with that smaller surface. Things happen really quickly. You've got to absolutely have the head on a swivel and to be aware of that. Um, it's a great rink to forecheck in because of that, um, and uh, it is an adjustment. You know, you come from uh, it's you know the, the, the rink plays faster with that surface, so uh, it is an absolute home ice advantage that uh, BU or any other team has to make adjustments for. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, getting down to Aganis on Saturday. Uh, as I said, yep. I, you know, I, I won't have my radio equipment with me. Uh, we were uh, told we couldn't do games on the road this year, but I will be there, and I will be working in some uh, other capacity. But uh, it'll be great to see you, Bernie, both uh, Friday, yes. Friday night in North Andover and then uh, Saturday night back in Boston. Um, we're kind of against the clock here, Bernie, so uh, we'll wrap this up. But, uh, my friend, I can't thank you enough for being here on the podcast uh, today. Uh, you're such a great friend. And 
and and such a great uh, uh, personality in this industry, and and it's it's so wonderful to to see you and work with you. And uh, may there be many more hockey games together in our future. And uh, I know our audience is going to listen uh, and and really appreciate it. So I thank you, Bernie, for spending some time with us this week. Absolutely, my my pleasure as always, John. And uh, God bless uh, to you and your family. And uh, look, once again, look forward to seeing you uh, drop the puck. Look forward to seeing you on Friday. All right. Uh, you've been listening to Airing It Out, files from Leahy's broadcast booth. Our guest, the longtime radio voice of BU men's hockey and Harvard football, Bernie Corbett. My name is John Leahy. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will be back with you again next week, God willing. Until then, so long, everybody. The Ted Williams Camp alumni is raising funds for the Jimmy Fund. Each time they have surpassed their goal, and for their 2022 event, they hope to do the same. They are looking for any and all donations, such as items, services, tickets, gift cards, etc., for their ongoing online auction and their in-person auction at their main event. If any businesses would be willing to have a canister or host a fundraising event, they'd love to get you on the schedule. Thank you in advance for your support. Feel free to contact Fabuloso Weddings and Events or Joe LaRusso on Facebook for any information or questions. The Jimmy Fund, supporting Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Mitochondrial disease is a rare multi-symptom disease characterized by breakdowns in the mitochondria which are specialized compartments that are present in every cell of the body except red blood cells and are responsible for creating more than 90% of the energy needed by the body to sustain life and support growth. A disease most commonly associated with children, currently there is no cure, just management of symptoms. Hugs for Mito Inc. is mitochondrial disease, rare disease advocacy, awareness, fundraising for research trials, and hopefully a cure. To learn more, please visit hugsformito.org.
everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth. Hello, everyone. John Leahy with you. And as always, we are delighted to have you along for the podcast this week. I want to thank my guest from last week, Dr. Gary Griffith, a uh, sports broadcaster who has been all through the minor leagues, uh, particularly baseball. And he's also he's also a uh, college professor uh, of uh, mass communications down in uh, South Carolina. So uh, Gary was a great guest. And uh, today we're going to bring back an old friend, a guy we had on the podcast last year, one of my dearest friends, one of my closest friends, and uh, he's a guy that I've worked with in hockey for quite some time, and uh, this man is a legend. He's the radio voice of Boston University Hockey and Harvard Football, my good friend Bernie Corbett. Bernie, it's so great having you. Thanks for stopping by tonight. Oh, no problem, John. And, uh, you know, thanks for the uh, the theme music. I can do that in three notes. There you go. <laughs> go. Go be you. You're making me feel right at home. Yeah, that's the objective here. When we have a guest on, we want to make sure that yep. uh, our guests feel right at home. So, uh, Bernie, we have so much to talk about. And, uh, you know, I, I want to talk, you know, obviously a lot about BU hockey since we're going to be playing each other this weekend in a in a home-on-home series. But uh, maybe we'll talk a little Harvard football as well. But, uh you know, I wanted to start and kind of get your thoughts and your observations on uh, where college hockey is today as far as where we are in getting back to quote-unquote normalcy. Certainly we're a lot better off than we were last year, but uh, how do you feel it's gone? Well, I, you know, once again, uh, I think everybody, uh, you know, godly optimistic, as we as we like to say, uh, uh, as far as uh, the uh, the situation that uh, that we, we've all been uh, we've all been dealing with, no matter what the uh, what the area of endeavor is for anybody, sports has obviously been uh, greatly affected. I mean, uh, BU case in point was BU was the last uh, the very last team in the country that uh, participated to to be actually get on the ice last year. I mean, BU didn't play till January eighth right. uh, last year, yep. so it was a, a a very much an abbreviated season for BU. Uh, last season so just the fact that uh, we're on the ice in October uh, and uh, off to uh, a conventional start with the schedule with the expectation to play a full schedule play all the way through to uh, to a college hockey uh, champion being decided in Boston ironically enough in April right Um, I mean that's 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 all on the positive side John Um, and hopefully uh, that's going to continue and uh, of course uh, that said, it's led to a much different landscape of the actual game in terms of the makeup of the teams because of uh, the pandemic. I mean, that, that's led to uh, some unique circumstances that we're all looking at with these uh, rosters and who's actually playing college hockey this year. Well, Bernie, you've had a chance to do four games so far with BU. Three of them have been at Agana Serena, and uh, you also had a game down in Hartford, uh, and uh, I know you're glad to get the XL Center out of the way early, right? Because uh, <laughs> not everybody enjoys going to that uh, rink. Although I did have Chuck Caton on uh, last month, a couple of months oh, ago, actually. Gosh. And Chuck had some great stories about that building. But uh, you, So you've had a chance to do four games. Fans have been in the building. You know, how is it, what's it felt like for you to have that experience again yeah i think it's 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 felt uh, it has uh, dare we say it it has felt uh, normal uh, uh you know the uh, you know just uh, having the crowd back uh it was it was as i'm sure you would know john it was just as very eerie <laughs> to, to to you know lack of a better term eerie last year uh in empty buildings and uh, just the the whole isolation factor i mean the experience for me personally last year with bu 
uh, well, for one thing, the home games were played at Walter Brown Arena and not at Gannis Arena. So the Terriers right. went back to their prior home. So that was an aberration. That was unusual. An empty Walter Brown Arena, of course. And uh, and then the away games, uh, I was you know broadcasting from my den, uh, you know, and it could have been in my pajamas or my robe. I think I might have been for a couple of games, as a matter of fact. Uh, you know, truth be told, no one at home. But I'll reveal that. But, uh, you know, off my, you know, 55-inch Samsung TV. Uh, so, you know, if anybody had ever told me that I'd be in any kind of circumstance that I would be actually calling a game from my den, uh, I would have said, you know, who would come up with so wild a story? But that was the story last year. That was what the circumstances that we were dealt. So uh, to be back in the ranks, uh, uh, back at the XL, I, I, memories of Chuck Caton always come back when I go to this. But funny you mentioned because I can remember uh, – Oh, it must have been 1989 or 90, and uh, I remember meeting Chuck Caden and sitting with Chuck Caden for a game and talking broadcasting with Chuck Caden. It was uh, absolutely thrilling for me to, to be able to do that at the time. And he was, of course, the you know the dean of the of the uh, NHL play-by-play announcers for decades. And uh, uh, so I always think of Chuck when I'm at the XL Center. So it was it was great to you know be able to get back. That was the the, uh, the, the lone road game so far, and, and to be able to get back out on the road and just as I'm looking forward to getting back and having the experience of being at Lawler Rink and uh, being up there with uh, with you and, and that experience this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, shortly. But, uh, Bernie, I know you had a chance to sit in on Hockey East Media Day, as I did, and uh, yep. I'm wondering what perspectives you might have gained from Hockey East uh, as you experienced Media Day, and, and what are your opinions on how the league has started so far? Yeah, I think it's off to a good start. I think on a, on a number of levels, uh, solid ground. Um, my my hope is that uh, that Steve Metcalf, uh, you, you know, you talk about a baptism of fire for him to take over as the commissioner from Joe Britannia to uh, have the torch passed last year. I mean, it could it have been any more of a challenging year with uh, so many uh, you know obstacles and pitfalls and landmines out there than it was for Steve. I really kind of feel for Steve being able to get the ship into port and get us through that season last year. And I think Steve's a very bright guy. He's got great experience in. Uh, in uh, intercollegiate sports and, and great experience uh, with hockey. It was the liaison to hockey with the UNH. So I think we're on firm ground there. Uh, got the chance to meet in person. I had interviewed Brian Murphy last year. Um, I think as far as uh, the head of officials, I think uh, Brian Murphy would bring in the NHL resume that he brings to the table. I think uh, the league is in great shape uh, in, in that area. So um, I think uh, moving forward from uh, an administrative sense and uh, logistical sense, uh, playoff format uh, established for this year. Um, I, I think it's on a very, uh, very firm and solid ground uh, moving forward. I'm, I'm excited about the year and and, uh, and, and being able to uh, get back to a, a conventional Hockey East uh, season for the 11 teams. Yeah, you know, and a couple of things that I kind of picked up on, first of all, was uh, UMass getting swept by Minnesota State. Now, I knew there was going to be a lot of emotion at the Mullen Center on opening night. Uh, you know, you often see that, Bernie, when teams are come back after defending a championship, uh, they play their first home game, and sometimes it doesn't, doesn't go all that well. But then to blow that lead uh, on the second night against Minnesota State and getting swept. And uh, also, UMass Lowell had a couple of games uh, postponed because of COVID because Long Island uh, University uh, had to pull out because of COVID. So we've already seen a couple of quirky things so far. Yeah, that's, you know, and, and that's unfortunate. You know, as much as, uh, you know, we all, we, we all obviously hope, oh, this is behind us. Well, you know, we get something like the uh, the Long Island story that you mentioned and 
Yeah, it's not uh, it's not quite behind us yet, unfortunately, John. Yeah. Uh, when you have something like that come up, uh, and and hopefully we're we're going to avoid uh, those situations, and that is certainly not going to be that's going to be an exception to the rule of of the type of season that we're going to have. And uh, as far as, uh, as as far as UMass, I mean that the, uh, the Minnesota State team, I mean they have been. Uh, a dominant team, WCHA now CCHA. They've changed the uh, they've changed the call letters there yep. uh, for the for the league. But I don't think it's going to change uh, what Minnesota State and Mike Hastings has done uh, in terms of being the premier team in that league. Uh, and and uh, you know they are once again going to be a national championship uh, contender. Uh, and uh, and as far as uh, UMass uh, having them on the schedule, uh, talk to Greg Carvel about it and. They want to continue to have the mentality of, uh, as now the defending national champions, to play anybody, anywhere, anytime, and to be able to test themselves. And uh, in, in that case, you, you bring Minnesota State in, you know you're going to get tested early on to uh, find out uh, really a, a measuring stick as to where your team is at. And uh, and I think that was uh, that was the case there. I think UMass is definitely going to be heard from, and that they're going to be a top uh, top contending team, uh, no doubt in Hockey East, and I'm sure nationally. And you know, UMass had a week to stew about that, right? They had uh, they were off the weekend after those two Minnesota State games, and so they had a nice bounce back weekend against AIC, and uh, they won a couple of games. So uh, Greg Carvel's yeah. team uh, able to respond as we as we had a feeling they would. Yeah. Oh, no, no doubt. They, 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 you know, once again, I think they're going to be one of the teams that'll be there in the upper echelon of hockey East and in, in, uh, in, in the, at the end of the year. And, uh, uh it's been amazing. Uh, you mentioned about AIC, the, uh, the phenomenon, if you will, of Western Massachusetts hockey. I mean, AIC is uh, in a very short time with Eric Lang. Uh, they have established themselves as the premier program in the Atlantic hockey league. And, uh, and, and, more than likely, they're picked to win the Atlantic League once again. So, uh, UMass uh, scheduling their neighbors there, uh, uh, not a couple of gimmies. You know, those are games that are going to uh, that, that are going to test you. So, um, the the, the out of conference schedule, I think we're you know we're getting back to that this year as being a factor. You know, last year, I think we realized uh, just how valuable the pairwise was um, right. to take all of the subjectivity out of a national tournament and get us back to uh, being able to play by the numbers and. Um, I've always been a proponent of uh, of the pairwise as it's been evolved. I mean, there's nothing perfect, but just the fact that every game is meaningful and uh, you, you are evaluated, every game you're evaluated, and you're evaluated by the company you keep, who you're competing against, who your opponents compete against, um, I still think it's a formula that, that, that works. And uh, I'm, I'm all for being objective as opposed to subjective. And uh, UMass playing Minnesota State, um, you know, you got Quinnipiac and North Dakota playing. The North Dakota's coming to Quinnipiac this weekend. Um, those all become those those all loom very large, and and uh, uh, how the NCAA tournament uh, field is uh, going to be evaluated and selected. Well, Bernie, let's talk some BU hockey here. Let's start with uh, the product on the ice right now. The Terriers have played four games, uh, two and two, and uh, you had the split with UConn. You go down to Hartford, win two to one in that one. Then uh, UConn uh, comes into BU and wins five to one. And then you had a pretty scrappy Sacred Heart, who Merrimack saw the week before. Merrimack beat Sacred Heart four to two, and then uh, BU splits with Sacred Heart. Uh, what have you seen from the Terriers so far? What observations stick out for you? Yeah, I think the you know it it really has been uh, a, a bit of a roller coaster in the early going. I mean, uh, had uh, certainly had, uh, had had some real strong stretches that first night uh, down in Hartford were unrewarded until 
uh, weren't able to, 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 to get a puck in the net until I think it was shot number 41 in the game late. Wow. Uh, got a got a favorable bounce, uh, and uh, and and uh, Sam Stevens was able to score to tie that game. And, you know, it looked like it was going to be this isn't our night, one to nothing. So I thought the team showed tenacity and being able to uh, to you know to, to make your break and get the break and take advantage of it, uh, tie it, and then you know power play. I'm not saying power play percentage is not important, but I think even more important is you know if you get that opportunity late in the game, a man up, can you cash it in in a tight game? And that's exactly what BU ended up doing that night, John. Uh, Master Simone, Robert Master Simone, he's a very dynamic player, Detroit Red Wings draft pick, and he got the big power play goal. So that game turned around late, uh, two goals within a minute and 41 seconds to decide it. Felt real good uh, for the team getting on the bus and coming back up and for your home opener. And then I think uh, it was a uh, it was it was a it was an awakening on uh, Saturday, a rude awakening, I might add. Uh, UConn, I think, is a good team. Uh, I think they're 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 very deep up front, and uh, and and uh, ended up uh, with, uh, with with a, a situation where uh, they were more the aggressor on uh, Saturday. Uh, really took over the game on Saturday. Uh, two teams that BU and UConn that wanted to play up tempo. Uh, wanted to open up the game, and I thought UMass had a better version of it on Saturday in the in the back end, and ended up as a result of it, ended up with that five to one win. So, I think that shook up everybody on the BU side a little bit as a you know kind of the wake up call and and uh, to get back uh, get back on track. The unfortunate thing leading into last weekend uh, was the fact that the Terriers were down a number of bodies last going in Friday, and were down a couple of more bodies. I have no idea what the status is. Uh, coming up for this weekend with the Merrimack series. But um, what's amazing to me here, the one thing that really strikes me here in the early going is coming into the season, and uh, and, and once again, I think the theme of this season in college hockey, you have your, I know people are calling them super seniors, the guys that have been able to exercise their uh, the uh, the eligibility waiver because of COVID. So you got guys coming back, uh, some in greater numbers with some schools, but everybody, I think, has got guys coming back and exercising that extra year of eligibility. There's, there's, there's some at every school. And then you may have to have uh, held off uh, some of your incoming freshmen, or depending on how many incoming freshmen. Well, I just know from the BU standpoint, John, that uh, you know normally you'd have 15 forwards. What do you try to have? You try to have 15 forwards. You try to have eight defensemen. You're going to dress six or seven defensemen. You're going to dress 12 or 13 forwards. This year, I believe the BU roster in the preseason, there were 17 forwards in the program and 10 defensemen. Wow. And I looked at it, which is which is a really large roster for a school that's got a pretty hefty <laughs> tuition tariff, right. uh, as opposed to a public, you know, as opposed to a a state university where you might have greater numbers as as, as we've seen over the years. But uh, what amazed me already this season, just four games into the season is uh, BU, I looked at it, I said, well, I said, this is going to be different. I said, there's going to be quantity and quality. There's numbers. There's going to be competition. Uh, from a coaching standpoint, you know, I talked to the coaches about it. I said, you're going to have competition uh, you know, from week to week, which is what you want. Who's going to be in the lineup on, on Friday? You want guys competing hard in practice to make sure they're in the lineup. Well, that changed in a, in a, a Gannis minute, if you will. Um, with the number of guys now that were unavailable last weekend. And once again, I have no idea how many will be available this weekend that might not have been available last weekend. But suddenly, there was a numbers crunch for BU last weekend, not making any excuses. Um, there was a 
a gut punch of a loss on Friday. It was a really tough game to lose Friday, uh, giving up a goal with 13 seconds left. That was that was tough to, to swallow on any level. But once again, I give the team credit. I give the coaching staff credit for getting them back up and, uh, and, and showing resiliency to come back and, and play a solid game to get the split on Saturday. And uh, I think part of that is, is, I think, another theme currently in college hockey, John, is parity. Uh, yep. Case in point was uh, was it two weeks ago, not last Friday, but the Friday before. You know, you get the Red Sox in the postseason. Every day starts to run together for me. I got football, hockey. I got baseball. You know what else, right? But I think it was a week ago Friday when the Atlantic had a big weekend head to head with the Big Ten, and I think that surprised people. You had Atlantic teams going out and, and beating Big Ten teams in their own arena. So I mean, you know, it's one through sixty. 59, whatever it is right now that we have for the number of teams, Division One college hockey, uh, the, the, the parity level is, is really in evidence. Yeah, sure. It makes it fun, uh, any team on any given night. We've said it so many times. But I wanted, sure. to, I wanted to talk to you also, Bernie, about the coaching staff. I know you've, you've got yep. Al, Albie O'Connell there, of course, a former BU player. Jay Pandolfo is now on board. And, you know, you, you go back to the coaches that we've seen, uh, Albie before him, David Quinn, of course, uh, the legendary Jack Parker before him. How important is it for BU to consider uh, the uh, players' BU background, if you will, you know, in terms of uh, head coaches. I know that's been the, the theme, certainly, and uh, especially now with Pandolfo coming in. Uh, how how heavy of a factor is that weighed when BU makes those types of decisions? Well, well I think that, you know, with, with a, a program like BU, um, I think that uh, there is uh, maybe a tendency to weigh it a little bit heavier uh, just because of the success of the program. And uh, and and I think I'll I'll always think there's an intangible uh, with guys coming back and being able to coach at their alma mater. And you know, once again, if it's the right guy, then I'm all for it. And uh, I mean, the current staff right now with Doug Friedman back as hockey operations, you've got the '94, the '96, and the '99 captains of the team uh, are all on staff right now as as part of the staff. So um, I think it can work. Um, it's it's worked in the past. I mean, if you look at Hockey East, uh, Dick Humilly at UNH, obviously Jack at BU, Jerry York at BC, uh, where, where there's been success uh, with a given program, um, I, I, th- I think it can be a factor. I don't know if it has to be an exclusive factor. It, it certainly doesn't. I mean, there's a lot of examples of guys that have coached uh, other places or had gone to school and then coached other places being successful. But I think there's a little bit of an intangible there. And if you have the right guy and, and – of course, the situation at BU uh, was was very much unique. It was a real outlier because you had the same guy at the helm of the program for 40 years and 898 wins. Right. You know, that, right. <laughs> that, that that's not duplicated too many places. You got the same guy head coach for 40 years. You know, right, right. So, so there's that kind of disciples of uh, uh, Jack Parker. It, it 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 it's interesting this year. It's the 100th anniversary of BU Hockey is being celebrated all year, and there's a series of events um, that, that we're going to have, and um, uh, we are going to have an event uh, that's going to uh, that, that's going to talk about uh, the, uh, the coach's uh, his his tree, if you will, the, the, the Parker coaching tree, which has got coaches at all. Oh, you start with the NHL, you start with Mike Sullivan and John Hines, and you could work your way through college to high school to junior hockey, and and all the way back again. So. 
Um, so I think that can be uh, can be a positive factor. You know, you mentioned Jack Parker, and you know, I, I read excerpts of Joe Britannia's book, new book that came out. I haven't ordered it yet, but but I will be. And uh, there was a tribute to Jack Parker as part of that book. Now, uh, I know I, I want to ask you about Jack's sense of humor, and I know it was very <laughs> unique. It was very unique, and I know you've had lots of uh, opportunities oh, yeah. to uh, to share <laughs> funny stories with Jack. But give our listeners a little sneak peek into Jack's uh, style of humor. Well, yeah, his style is um, it's 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 biting, it's acerbic, um, it's 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 pointed, it's 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 rapier sharp. Um, it's everything you'd expect from a guy who grew up in a three decker in Somerville. I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, you know, Jack is. Uh, I've always said Jack is is kind of uh, he's kind of like the Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting. It's always a lethal combination to have a guy that's got a Menzer IQ and street smarts, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and much like Matt Damon's character, there, will hunting there, uh, Jack, Jack's very much out of that mold. Um, but yeah, Jack is, I mean, his sense of humor is, uh, is, 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 is kind of the trademark. Uh, I just give you, I'm just thinking, cause I was just talking to him earlier, but, uh, one story that came to mind and uh, it just came to mind because of the Red Sox. Jack had said something to me about three weeks ago and, and uh, we we hadn't been to a, a game yet this year, and and you know he, he you know there's a couple of he had a couple of conflicts and so forth, and and we were commiserating about the state of the Red Sox at the end of the regular season, and it was a serious question as we know where are they going to end up? Are they going to end in the playoffs? They're going to get in the playoffs, you know? They're going to end up? Will they get a wild card? Will they get knocked out at the end? We didn't know. So Jack said uh, in a rather flippant manner, he said to me, he says. Uh, you know, get back to me when they're in the World Series, you know, and. Uh, <laughs> And of course, at that point, it was like you know, it was it was pretty humorous, and I thought it was rather tongue in cheek. I didn't know if he really meant it. So, uh, you know, we had talked earlier about uh, about his comment, and I said, Coach, I said, if you really believe that, uh, there's always like a, a Jack story for all occasions. In 1975, uh, BU uh, Jack's uh, first full year that he was head coach, he came in halfway through the 73-74 season, and they won the ECAC tournament. So. Harvard and BU were, were the two real powers of the East there for, for that period. And they'd always play in December early in the year. And Harvard beat BU 7-2 to two in December, and it was their only loss. And now in the Beanpot final in 1975, BU and Harvard were 1-2 in the country, with Harvard holding that 7-2 to two loss over BU in December. Yep. And it was a huge, huge, you can imagine, the, the, the garden was absolute. I can remember it. I mean, it was the, you know, Thirteen nine oh nine fourteen nine nine five. It was the it was the sellout. Couldn't standing room. Couldn't get a ticket. Sneaking in the fire exit the game for the bean pot. And uh, and and BU ended up winning seven to two. The, the exact turnaround of the game they lost earlier in the year. Just dominated the game. Right. And J- and Jack tells a great story. He said there was a friend of his uh, uh, who was uh, let's say would place a wager from time to time. And, uh, and and Jack uh, was was being congratulated by a bunch of people after the game outside the locker room at the Garden, and his friend said, "Hey, you know, geez, Jack, great win tonight." And Jack said to him, "He says, you know something?" He said, "I just had a feeling, you know." He said, "I got up this morning, and I said, not only do I think we're going to win, I think we're going to win big." There you go. And his friend and his friend who you know would maybe place a wager from time to time, John, this friend of his, yep. turned to him and said, "Jack, if you ever get that feeling again." Please get to a phone. <laughs> Great stuff. Great stuff. <laughs> so, so I want. So that's an example of Jack. Uh, you know, 
he's got some great stories. That's one of them from the archives. I just happen to be thinking about today. You know, oh, great stuff. And you know, Bernie, we we can't if we're talking about BU hockey, we we have to bring up Travis Roy. Uh, Travis, yes. of course, yep. just passed away recently, and I know you had a special relationship with Travis and. Uh, uh, just a, a, such a sad, sad uh, event that happened with him. And 11 seconds into his first collegiate shift, and of course that unfortunate accident. And, uh, but I wonder if you could just reflect back uh, on Travis and your relationship with him, and, and how important he is uh, to BU hockey. God rest his soul. Yeah, you know, to BU hockey, and uh, and 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 I think became, you know, by a tragedy became an inspiration and continues to be an inspiration to the world, you know, the world of hockey and well beyond it to the world, uh, what he did with the foundation and, uh, all of the good that the foundation has done and continue to do. But, uh, I mean, I met him. I, I just, all told a story. I just think back to, um, being at the, uh, at the, uh, the athletic building at BU, it was a summer day, happened to be in there. And, uh, I was talking to Ed Carpenter, the longtime sports information director. I mean, was standing on the stairwell and, you know, kids were going up to uh, work out in the weight room, and and a kid comes bopping by, blonde kid, you know, good-looking young guy, and 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 uh, Ed Carpenter said, uh, he says, you know, hi, you know, say hello to Travis Roy, and that was you know my introduction to Travis Roy, you know, oh, nice to meet you, and he just walked by, and Ed Carpenter just turned and said, he says, you know, it's just a great kid, he says he'll be a captain here one day, mm-hmm. and that was my first. In meeting and you know you do as you do john you do your homework on the guys coming in you try to get a sense where do they play who are they what are they all about um but i that was my first meeting and and then you know going in and getting ready for that season and you know going in catching practice or whatever and knowing that he was going to start the game and i, I was calling the game i mean the, the, the incident in walter brown arena happened right beneath and i think about it all the time it's like a flashback to just something awful that you just you just witnessed. I mean, I was calling the play, calling the game, and it happened like directly below our vantage point. And it was it was de- it was just beyond devastating. And as the details were gathered as to how severe it was, and you know, I remember going home that night, and my father being at the game, and and he said he said, man, my father was was standing up on the on the the balcony there across, and he had a good look, and he said, man, he says when he, he said to me that night, he said, Bernie, he says when I saw it happen, he said, I just know right away, he said. He was in deep, deep trouble, yeah. and uh, it was. I just, you know, I I think back on that, and 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 the the magnitude of that tragedy, and and then to see what happened in the immediate aftermath of it, in terms of how the, it began with the hockey community, but it went well beyond the hockey community, the outpouring of support, the outreach of support, how he connected uh, to to people. And then to see how he handled the situation and was able to graduate, uh, to be independently, to live as independently as, as he could live, to be able to uh, be an inspiration on that level. And then the foundation and the wiffle ball tournament and the, the money that he raised and, and, and talking, to, uh, talking to groups over the years that, that had a chance to hear him speak and to just walk away and to have their whole perspective on life changed after they heard him speak and said, wow, maybe I should take a different look at what I got going on here or what my life is all about after, after just listening to, 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 to this guy tell his story. And, um, and you know, over the years, I'm, I'm glad I, I, I look, I pray every night for him and I pray as, as an inspiration because he was an inspiration to me as he was to many and 
and um, you know, we we we, uh, uh, we we had a chance. He was a big Pearl Jam fan, like I was. Um, and I remember one show that we spent together at the Garden, where, I, where, where we were together for the show and watched the show together. Um, never forget that night. That was a special night. Um, and uh, and and uh, and then one uh, and then one story that uh, that I got to tell you was we when we had a uh, when Coach Parker retired in 2013. Uh, down at the uh, there was down the Cape there was a function during the summer for former players and and I was emceeing the thing and there was different speakers coming up and and uh, and the announcement about Travis's number was going to be retired and you know the only number that was was retired was was you know, they retired number six for Jack and now they were going to retire number twenty four <laughs> just give you an idea of I mean how the kid did it and how it's just his sense of humor he never lost he had such a shop wit Travis could match up with Jack. And I can remember I was up at the uh, the microphone and I said uh, about Travis's number being re- re- being uh, uh, retired. Uh, you know, Jack, no, Jack's, I'm sorry, Jack's number being retired. Travis's number, the only number that's been retired. I'm sorry, reverse right. that. 24 right. has been retired. So now they announced, I, I said, you know, Jack's number is going to be retired. And I said, our next speaker, Travis was, was on his way up to the podium. And I said, I'm sure our next speaker, Travis Roy, does not mind that he will not be the only player in the history of BU hockey to have his number retired. And as he's coming up, I hear from the back of the room, I mind. (laughs) Ah, You only get that stuff at BU. Great stuff. (laughs) I'll never forget that. I said, God bless him. I said, that was, you know, not often you could go toe to toe with Jack and, and, and throw a shot at him. But that one, that one hit, you know, that was a good shot by Travis. That was beautiful. Great stuff. We're talking with Bernie Corbett. He is the longtime radio voice of Boston University men's hockey, also the voice of Harvard football. And, uh, Bernie, I will transition to Harvard uh, football in just a moment, but I'd like to get your thoughts on the Beanpot finally returning. Uh, of course, we didn't have it last year. That's, yeah. That is such a spectacle. Uh, I haven't missed one in at least over a dozen years. I know you get to do it every year. How special is that event, and how special will it be to have it back in the Garden? Well, it's going to be like a, you mentioned it, John. It's going to be like a lot of things. It's going to be really special to have it back, you know. And, and like all these things that we take for granted, annual. I just think back to all the annuals that didn't happen that are coming back or have come back, and that'll be a very, uh, very notable that it'll be coming back. And, and thank God it will be. I'm looking forward to that already. Um, it's it's been a big, big part of my life. Um, I, I felt a little bit slighted last year. That would have been my fiftieth year of of, I, I, of the bean pot for me because um, I went to the first one with my family in 1971 so I was 10 years old I was in the fifth wow. grade yep. when I went to my first one and and, uh, and so I didn't get the chance that would have been my 50th so I'll put a little asterisk next to that this year <laughs> but 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 that's how much of a part of my life that it's been and part of my family's life and and, and the fabric of my family's life would be you hockey so um, yeah, it's going to be very special, and I'm looking to look forward to uh, to you know once again I'll be back to normal with the the first two Mondays in February are all about the bean pot as we know. Absolutely, one one of my favorite bean pot stories was well I have one of my own that I experienced, but uh, I remember the the blizzard of '78 and the, the teams oh, were yeah. stuck there, and I remember Channel Four doing <laughs> a news clip of a very young Jack Parker and uh, talking about that experience, and uh, you know he he had the wit going even in that clip. <laughs> Oh yeah! Oh, absolutely. That's one of the, the stories that Jack has told for many, many years, and and uh, about uh, trying to get the bus back to West Campus at BU, and 
they were going, you know, inching their way down Com Ave, and uh, uh, the uh, Jack O'Callaghan, the captain, he come up to Jack and he said, you know, Coach, he said, uh, you know, is there any chance you can let us off at the dugout, you know, at the BU watering hole? Um, the middle of the campus, and uh, he said, you know, we're all going to end up going back down there anyway, you know, so yeah, right. just let us off there, and Jack's like, uh, you know, I can't do that, and, you know, so Jack comes up with an alternative, you know, once again, you know, you can't underestimate growing up at the three-decker in Somerville, you know, Oh yeah. so Jack said, uh, Jack made the announcement, he said, if anybody wants to get off at Marsh Chapel and say a prayer, you can get off here. If not, you can ride all the way back to West Campus. <laughs> and, uh, and 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 Billy Carter, God rest his soul, from Charlestown, he walked up to the coach. He was all in a panic. He's like, he wanted to get off at the dugout. He, he didn't get it. So he walked up to Jack and he said, Coach, look, you know, I'm Catholic. I'm as religious as the next guy. But, you know, I was kind of hoping we'd get off at the dugout. And, <laughs> uh, and of course, the bus pulled up in front of Myers Chapel. And as Jack said, the entire bus emptied out, he said, including my athletic director, John Simpson. One of my great favorites, the late John Simpson, God rest his soul. What a wonderful, wonderful guy he was. He, he, I always said to John, I said, John, anybody that wants to blame, you know, if, if you want to blame somebody for my career, blame John Simpson. He's the guy who gave me a shot <laughs> at broadcasting BU football and hockey when I got out of school. So. But uh, that's that's one of the uh, the great notes from the Blizzard was you know getting off at Mass Chapel to say a prayer with the BU team. Great stuff, Bernie. And you know I know you're you're still of course very involved with Harvard football. And I I, when yeah. I, I had an email with you a few weeks ago, and I know you were down at Georgetown to start the year. And uh, boy, that's been a big part of your life too, hasn't it? And uh, you know how exciting Absolutely. was how exciting for you was it to get back and and get back to Harvard football again, which is I, I know you love it so much. Oh, you know, once again, uh, you know, Harvard is, uh, they've, they've given me a football home, you know, BU, BU football in 1997 was the final year. I'm the answer to a trivia question. I broadcast the last BU football game down at James Madison, November of 1997. And uh, it was, you know, it was heartbreaking. And I, I enjoyed football and, and had the experience. I, I worked as the color analyst with Doug Brown uh, for 12 years from back in 1984. Uh, and uh, until 1990, yeah, 10 years with Doug, I did a year with Ken Coleman, and then I did the last two years. I did the play-by-play. So, so I was, I can remember, was I was at the New England, I MC the New England Football Writers Banquet for Jack Grinold, and I remember getting up to the New England Football Writers Banquet in December '97 and saying, "Well, I guess this is my last banquet because I don't have a football team. If anybody's got any ideas." And um, the idea I had was to go talk to Billy Clary, and you know, I had a good relationship with Billy. Um, he's very close with Jack Parker, and I knew Billy from hockey and so forth. And I went over and talked to Billy and, um, you know, it just kind of fell into place. There was kind of an opening there to get involved. And uh, I was able to get involved. And uh, the fact that I've been able to broadcast Harvard football, work with Tim Murphy. I knew Tim. I was actually in school at BU uh, when Tim was an assistant at BU uh, with Rick Taylor. Uh, so we knew each other. We had a little bit of, uh, of history. And uh, and Coach Murphy and Harvard has been a great uh, great experience for me. And they're off to a great start. They're five and zero right now. They got a couple of uh, big ones coming up with Princeton and Dartmouth, and uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to uh, to see how the uh, the Ivy League race uh, plays out. But uh, Harvard football has been uh, has been a great uh, great experience, and 
And, uh, well, they've been sending guys, as we know, John, to the NFL. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick has had quite a career now. It's 17 years or whatever. is 15 years in the NFL. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, in fact, the Patriots are the only AFC East team he's never played for. You know, <laughs> Played so, for everybody else in the division, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's, uh, that's right. one of those yeah. quirky trivia stuff that I learned from doing baseball for so many years. But uh, That's right. That's actually, right. Actually, uh, so, Bernie, I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, what you're doing in terms of your podcast and your Sirius XM radio. Maybe you could uh, get us up to date on those shows and how people can find them. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you very much, John. Uh, the, uh, the the league uh, podcast uh, that I do for uh, uh, Hockey East and, uh, and ECAC Atlantic Hockey, uh, they're all back. Uh, you can access all of them uh, at, uh, at the, uh, you can go right to the league sites. They all have a dedicated uh, spot, a dedicated page uh, that you can uh, go and, uh, and listen to Inside Hockey East, uh, Inside ECAC, Inside Atlantic Hockey. And uh, talking to coaches and players, uh, women's feature every week. Uh, also, I get some uh, I get some uh, great uh, kids at, at BU that uh, that work with me on the shows. Uh, that have, a couple of them have been with me for a long time, for three, four years now. Uh, so those are all up and active uh, every week. Uh, the Sirius XM show, Hockey on Campus, is in its 12th year. Um, and uh, Saturday morning at 9, Sunday morning at 8. Uh, it's also on ESPNU, Sirius XM channel. Uh, they picked it up in January, and they seem to like it, so they picked it up for this season. Uh, so you can you can find that there. And uh, I've uh, taken a little bit of a break from uh, Games People Play, which is my, as I say, my podcast where I talk to old people <laughs> uh, <laughs> on Games People Play, where I've, I've just had a ball with that. I've got about 40 shows in now. Uh, started that a year ago in June, talking to uh, former athletes and having them tell their story uh, in detail. Um I've got. I'm just really wrapped up with hockey. We had a, we launched the first full week of the podcast last week for for uh, for the college hockey. So, um, but I've, I, I'm I'm pleased to say I've got some unproduced shows that we got to start cranking out. I've got uh, let's see, we got Keith Folk, we got uh, Kenny Anderson, the former Celtics point guard. Uh, we've got uh, we've got him to come. Uh, Michael Warren. Uh, is one that we got to get out. I mean, people remember Michael Warren from UCLA basketball or Hill Street Blues. Uh, we got one with him. Uh, talked to Phil Esposito recently. Uh, that's going to be an epic because uh, I got uh, hours of material from Phil. Look forward to getting that one out. Uh, so we've got uh, we got a number. And, and uh, Louis Tiant was the first uh, uh, live guest that I had. Uh, sat down with Louis Tian at Fenway Johnny's over on Brookline Avenue near Fenway Park. John Karen has yep. become a very good friend, and uh, sat down with Louis. And uh, that's another one that we we got to get edited. We got to get it out there. I've taken a little bit of a hiatus, but uh, we'll be we'll be putting new shows up for games people play, and hopefully recording some some new shows coming up. That's awesome, Bernie. And I know, uh, you know, I can't let you go without bringing up music. Now, you know, when I was contemplating on what to do for a, yep. for a theme song for you tonight, I was really torn between a Rolling Stones song and the BU theme song. It, it, <laughs> you know, I was thinking about yep. this last night uh, and I was saying, man, man what am I going to go with? So I, I had to stay with the BU uh, uh, stuff. But, you know, uh, the Rolling Stones, okay. you, you know, you, you had a great uh, book you wrote about that. And I know music yeah. music is a big part of uh, of your life as it is mine and uh you know it's um it's just such a, such a wonderful thing to be wrapped up with and and you know talk about your love of music for a minute 
No, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, once again, missing the live experience, I uh, got to a couple of shows. I went to see Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes. I've been seeing them for many years. Bruce Springsteen's good friends of Bruce Springsteen saw them this summer. And, uh, but it's great to see live music coming back. Uh, the Stones, the heartbreak of losing Charlie Watts, their drummer. I was a huge fan of Charlie oh, right. Watts and, yeah. and, and just the, the absolute foundation and musically and otherwise the rock of that band uh, was heartbreaking to for Charlie's passing back in August and right before the Stones took it back on the road. And uh, I am going to see they're they're currently touring. And um, my plan is I booked it a while ago, uh, meeting up with a friend out in Detroit uh, on November 15th to see the Stones out at uh, Ford Field on November 15th. So um, I will get uh, get a chance here, God willing, everything goes well to see the Stones uh, on this uh, this little uh, stadium tour that they're doing. Oh, that's awesome, Bernie. I hope you make it out there. And, you know, my goal has always been to be a ukulele player in the Jimmy Buffett band. Um, but, <laughs> yep. you know, he yep. br- every every concert, Bernie, he brings in a ringer, a guy by the name of Jake Shimabukuro, who is the world's greatest uh, ukulele player. So ah. um, I play multiple instruments, so I'm going to have to – I think I'm going to have to find another way in the back door with Jimmy's <laughs> band. So. <laughs> But I, I think right. I think exactly. he, I think his screening process is probably one of the most difficult in all of music. So I got my work cut out for me, Bernie. <laughs> well, it, 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 it's it's something that uh, you know you got to have those you know goals, and uh, I know John, you're focused and dedicated on that. So uh, you know, I wish you wish you luck with that and uh, being able to continue to uh, keep that in mind. Eyes on the prize. Absolutely, Bernie. Well, listen. Last thing before I let you go, uh, BU's coming. Sure. BU's coming to Merrimack uh, on Friday night, and we're heading yeah. down to your your way on Saturday. Uh, talk about what it's like to come into Merrimack as a visiting first as a visiting team, and then as a visiting broadcaster. The Lala Rink is uh, unique in many respects, and I know that the that the philosophy of Merrimack is to make it as uncomfortable as possible for the <laughs> visiting team to come in there. So, I'm wondering what it's like you know for you and maybe what uh, the BU team thinks about playing in, in such a, uh, a different uh, arena so to, uh, so to speak well for a broadcaster it's a joy to come there uh, love uh, seeing you and Mike and uh, and, and uh, uh, Chris Aliano when Chris was there you know Chris had worked for me as a student and then got up there to Merrimack as the, uh, the hockey contact and uh, now you got Will LeBlond who's got great ties to BU his dad was in school with me when I was the manager and his father, Bill, was on the national championship team in 78. So it's very welcoming to come there. Um, I love everything that's been done to the rink, the look of it now and everything. I, I, you always get a great meal there before the game. Um, I mean, all, all it's first class, uh, great vantage point. You're close to the ice. You're close to the action. As far as the visiting teams, it is a different. Uh, it's, it's with that smaller surface. Things happen really quickly. You've got to absolutely have the head on a swivel and to be aware of that. Um, it's a great rink to forecheck in because of that, um, and uh, it is an adjustment. You know, you come from uh, it's you know the, the, the rink plays faster with that surface, so uh, it is an absolute home ice advantage that uh, BU or any other team has to make adjustments for. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, getting down to Aganis on Saturday. Uh, as I said, yep. I, you know, I, I won't have my radio equipment with me. Uh, we were uh, told we couldn't do games on the road this year, but I will be there and I will be working in some uh, other capacity. But uh, it'll be great to see you, Bernie, both uh, Friday, yes. Friday night in North Andover and then uh, Saturday night back in Boston. Um, we're kind of against the clock here, Bernie, so uh, we'll wrap this up. But uh, my friend, I can't thank you enough for being here on the podcast uh, today. Uh, you're such a great friend. 
and, and such a great uh, uh, personality in this industry. And, and it's it's so wonderful to, to see you and work with you. And uh, may there be many more hockey games together in our future. And uh, I know our audience is going to listen uh, and, and really appreciate it. So I thank you, Bernie, for spending some time with us this week. Absolutely. My, my pleasure as always, John. And uh, God bless uh, to you and your family. And uh, look, once again, look forward to seeing you uh, drop the puck. Look forward to seeing you on Friday. All right. Uh, you've been listening to Airing It Out, files from Leahy's broadcast booth. Our guest, the longtime radio voice of BU men's hockey and Harvard football, Bernie Corbett. My name is John Leahy. Thanks so much for tuning in. And we will be back with you again next week, God willing. Until then, so long, everybody.